All around the world, people are floundering. There's something missing, something more that they just can't grasp. Do you feel it too? Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast. Every week, host Kevin Monroe will help you navigate to your true north and flourish in faith, business, and life. You found us for a reason. Stay tuned to find out why. Hey, thanks for listening to the Higher Purpose Podcast. This is episode 31. Lately, we've spent several episodes exploring servant leadership, which is something I'm really passionate about and invest a good bit of my time helping leaders and their teams embrace and express servant leadership. For me, there's a definite connection to purpose. Serving is the modus operandi or the MO of purpose-powered leaders. Something or someone other than you is at the center of your leadership. And you see leading as a vehicle for serving. You see, it's the way you serve. So here's a super short recap of the previous three episodes that talked about servant leadership. In episode 27, we talked about the transformational power of servant leadership. Episode 28, I had some fun exploring the topic of you might be a servant leader if, and ran through a list of 10 behaviors and beliefs that are common to servant leaders. Then in episode 29, I was joined by Jeff Harmon, a friend of mine, and we talked about servant leadership and the role of love in the workplace. So if you missed any of those, you might want to go back and give them a listen. In today's episode, we're we're going to talk about servant leadership in a different kind of way perhaps different from any other approach you've ever heard, to share servant leadership, to explore servant leadership. You see, I like simplicity. I believe simple is elegant. I love that someone as brilliant as Albert Einstein, whose brain was obviously extremely complex, and he was very comfortable with with the complexities Einstein advocated that we make things as simple as possible, but not simpler. Simplicity trumps complexity every single time. So today, I want to share an approach to simplifying servant leadership. But before I do, I want to share the backstory and the journey that led to this discovery for me. In previous podcasts, I've mentioned the privilege I have of serving Project Management Institute, PMI, and sharing servant leadership with members of the Leadership Institute Masterclass, what's known as LIMC to PMI Insiders. It was through my work with LIMC that I became friends with Maretta Lang. She at that time was president of the PMI Norway chapter and invited me to deliver a keynote on servant leadership for the PMI Norway Conference in 2016. That conference was held at the Norway National Museum, which is the National Art Gallery and home to Edvard Munch's The Screen, the famous painting perhaps you're familiar with. So for that session, PMI Norway had adopted the art of management as the theme for their conference. So naturally, I was looking for a way to make ties between their theme and my topic, servant leadership. I'd noodled a few ideas, captured them in Evernote, which is my favorite note-taking tool. And I was in the process of what I call marinating, you know, just letting ideas soak and see what emerges. 
So about 90 days before my trip to Norway was scheduled, I headed to Nashville, Tennessee to spend a day with Erie Chapman. Now, Erie's a friend and a mentor that I met along my servant leader journey. I knew Erie as a hospital CEO, author, thought leader. He's written several books. My favorite is Radical Loving Care, in which Erie unpacks the philosophy and practices behind the first healing hospital in the world. What I didn't know until that day was that Erie is quite the Renaissance man. He's a prolific artist and filmmaker. Where we met that day in Nashville was his art studio. We had plenty of rich discussions that day, many of which inspired and expanded my understanding of art. You see, I struggle to draw a decent stick figure. Family and friends get a real kick out of playing Pictionary with me. It's kind of like all of my pictures kind of look the same, no matter what I'm drawing. But I digress. And please, don't invite me to play Pictionary unless you just want to make fun of me, okay? But in the days that followed my meeting with Erie, inspiration flowed. I remember where I was on a walk in the morning through the neighborhood when an idea just popped in my head, the idea I'm going to talk about today. There it was. Frame my remarks around servant leadership through the lens of an artist and explore the primary colors of servant leadership. Simple? Well, maybe. I thought about it. And if you think about it for a moment, I love this idea of primary colors because when we look at the beautiful world in which we live or we look at beautiful pieces of art, all of the colors of the rainbow, all of the colors of the artist's palette are derived from mixing and blending what we know as the primary colors. Now, I did have some recollection of primary colors, but I went on to do some research. And in that research, I discovered there are three sets, actually three sets of primary colors. And so it kind of depends on the medium in which you are working in. In the digital world, we use the RGB, which is an additive approach to primary colors, and mixes and blends red, green, and blue to produce the rest of the colors you see in the digital world. In the print world... They happen to use a subtractive process. And if you've used printers or if you're familiar with printing, you probably know the the acronym CMYK, which stands for cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. And they get all of the colors in the print world from mixes and blends of those four colors. Well, since I was going to be at an art gallery, I chose to go with RYB, the 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 Spectrum the artists use, the paint artists use, red, yellow, blue. So with that as our backdrop, now let's explore and experiment with the primary colors of servant leadership. So I want to ask you, is it possible to identify just three elements that are core to everything we know about servant leadership? And what would it take to identify those three elements that could be or serve as the primary colors of servant leadership. If you're a student or have ever studied servant leadership or done research, you probably stumbled across the 10 characteristics of servant leadership. Or perhaps you're familiar with a book, The Seven Pillars of Servant Leadership. Now, I want you to understand, I'm not seeking to eradicate or eliminate either of those. I value and respect them, know the authors of both. 
However, I was on a quest to simplify. Remember, that's what I said earlier, simplify servant leadership. It's hard for me to remember and operate from a list of 10. That's really hard for me. Maybe you get it. Three is a much more manageable number for me to work with. So I was on the quest to simplify servant leadership and identify three traits that would serve as the primary colors. And that by mixing and blending these three primary colors, you can get all of the colors of the servant leadership rainbow. Well, here's what I came up with. You're welcome to agree or disagree with my choice of primary colors. If you disagree, I'd love to know what you'd substitute and why. So let me share my list using the RYB spectrum. Before I get into the colors, let me remind you of how I define servant leadership. It's a people-centered approach to leadership that puts other people in the center and places the needs, growth, and development of those led ahead of those leading. So, R, red. Let's start with red. Hmm, I wondered. Stroked my beard and wondered what lies at the heart of servant leadership. Well, for me, it's empathy. Having and expressing empathy lies at the heart of servant leadership. Actually, I believe empathy is essential to any great leadership, but even more so an approach to leadership that is other-centered. Empathy, it is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. I love the way Psychology Today puts it. The experience of understanding another person's condition from their perspective. You place yourself in their shoes and feel what they are feeling. Maybe you've heard it referred to as perspective taking or walking a mile in another person's shoes or moccasins. If you study empathy, you you discover there are three types of empathy. There's cognitive empathy, which is understanding someone's thoughts or emotions in a very rational rather than emotional sense. Then there's emotional empathy, which is also known as emotional contagion. That is catching someone else's feelings so that you vicariously feel them too. And then The third is compassionate empathy, understanding someone's feelings and taking appropriate action to help. So empathy, it exists on multiple levels. And I love these four qualities that are used to describe the expression of empathy. Number one, to be able to see the world as others see it, the perspective taking I mentioned. Number two, to be non-judgmental. It's not enough just to see it, but to be non-judgmental about their perspective of the world. Three, to understand another person's feelings. And four, it's important to communicate your understanding of that person's feelings. You know, to, to see the world as they see it, to be non-judgmental about it, to understand it is all incomplete if you are unable to connect and to express or communicate your understanding of that person's feelings. In my observation and experience, Maya Angelou summarized empathy its importance and impact in this one quotation. She said, I've learned that people may forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. That's empathy in a nutshell. And I bet you can probably think of someone, a leader, that, that you've known personally or, or encountered in some way or, or, or a person. Maybe they weren't in a leader 
leadership position, a parent, a teacher, someone you respected, and they made you feel loved, respected, and valued. You may not remember their specific actions, but you remember that it was always good to be in their presence and to encounter them in some way. I believe that every person on the planet wants to feel love, respected, and valued. And when the people you lead, if you're a leader, when they feel love, respected, and valued by you, they will go the distance for you and with you. And you know that's true. So that covers the R in the RYB spectrum. There's more we could say, but for the sake of time, let's keep moving. When you think of another attribute that is so vital that it would be assigned a primary color, what comes to mind? Now, R is red. Y is yellow in the RYB spectrum. For me, it's listening. Listening is what I assign to yellow. And there's a specific reason I connected it to yellow. The color yellow is often used to capture our attention or serve as a cautionary reminder. Think of all the yellow signs you see that are are seeking to get your attention. Well, I don't know about you, but I know that I need reminders to listen, to listen first, to listen intently, to listen more than I talk. I love this from Robert Greenleaf, and Robert Greenleaf, you may remember or may know, he's the guy that coined the term servant leadership back in 1970. I love this quotation from Robert. Don't assume because you are intelligent, able, and well-motivated that you are open to communication, that you know how to listen. Hey, listening has no direct correlation to your intelligence. Some of the smartest people I know are horrible listeners. So there's not a necessarily correl- there's not a necessary correlation between being wise, intelligent, smart and listening. Well, I would say there's a correlation between wisdom and listening, but being smart, knowledgeable, listening, no direct correlation. Fortunately, listening is a skill you can learn, you can develop it. It takes time, it takes effort, even some reminders. So here's a study I reference, along with an activity I often use in session with clients. So the the study, 70 to 80% of our waking hours are spent in some type of communication. The activity, I ask people to assign, to break down. If you were to think about it, what percent of time do you spend in these four modes? Writing? reading, speaking, or listening. Now, you know, the goal is that the numbers equate 100%. So if you were to break that down, where do you see it? It's always an interesting exercise. And I love to see the mix. And sometimes the, the differences in percentages really are insightful into the culture of an organization and how they do things in their particular culture. But here's the breakdown from Adler, Rosenfeld, and Proctor of this study, that of the percentage, 9% comes from writing, 16% comes from reading, 30% comes from speaking. Okay, now how many of you were taught how to read, write, or speak? And when I ask this in a group, it's usually unanimous. 
sometimes a little less on the speaking, but we all studied reading and writing. Remember the three R's? Well, don't get me started on the three R's because I still, I grew up in the South, not quite sure how arithmetic became an R, but reading, writing, arithmetic, or writing, you know? Um, but we were hooked on phonics back then. Reading, writing, arithmetic, those were the three R's. And we studied that. But now if you're doing the math, get this, 45% of our time is spent listening. And then I ask, how many people have ever taken a course on listening? And the percentage is usually single digit. In some cases, it's just a, you know, two or three people, depending on the size of the group. But very few folks have studied listening. For me, it's rare that it's ever over 10% in a group. And when it is, it's a very unique culture. So perhaps that's why Greenleaf also wrote this. Only a true natural servant automatically responds to any problem, any problem, by listening first. Now, here's what's interesting. When we start talking about listening and you really get into what it means to listen, what are most people doing when they think they're listening? I'll pause a moment. Think about that. What are most people doing? What are you doing most of the time when you're listening? I remember the course, one of the courses I took on listening. The, the, the instructor said this, and, and I this lodged in my brain. I hear it a lot. If you're truly listening, if you're truly listening, there's usually a pause between the time the other person stops speaking and you start responding because you're still processing what they said. Now, back to the question, what are most people doing when they think they're listening? Sadly, most people are more focused on the brilliant thing they are about to say than what you are saying. They're just waiting for you to shut up, and as soon as you do, they're about to pontificate something of brilliance, at least in their mind. So here's what I learned in this course, the course I took on listening, that if you are really listening, there is usually a pause between the time the other person stops speaking and you start speaking because you're still processing. But when you go back and remember something St Stephen Covey popularized, that most people are listening with the intent to reply rather than the intent to understand, you, you get why people just automatically pop and they have an answer ready. Now, I love how Gary Ridge, a CEO of the WD-40 company, appended that from Stephen Covey. He encourages us to listen with the intent to be influenced. Believing that the person you're talking to may have the information and insight you need to make a wise, prudent decision. So listen to understand. Combine that with a willingness to be influenced if and when you discover new information. Don't be like the doctors that were in this study. Have you heard of this study? There was a study that... that observed doctors to see how long they listened to patients. The belief is that patients are the best source of primary knowledge about what's going on in the patient's experience, the patient's journey, you know, what, what their problem is, their diagnosis. But on average, how long was it before physicians interrupted patients with the answer or with their diagnosis? Eight 18 seconds. 
18 seconds. So tell me what's going on today. And then you start in that 18 seconds. They can listen. And then all of a sudden, oh, yeah, here's what it is. And, you know, all of a sudden they're writing a prescription and going into diagnosis mode. Don't be like those doctors. Listen with the intent to understand, not the intent to reply. Listen with the intent to be persuaded, to, to change your mind. Two more insights that I want to share on listening. Both of them come from quotations. One of them is from the beloved Larry King. And I love this. He said, nothing, nothing I say today will teach me anything. So if I'm going to learn, I must learn by listening. Think about that. Nothing you say today is how you're going to learn. So learn to listen. Now, my all-time favorite insight on listening comes from Canadian journalist Richard Ford. I stumbled on this some years ago in some reading, and I discovered this, this about Richard Ford, who discovered his dyslexia made him a better writer. And he explains why it made him a better writer was because it led him to become a better listener. Rather than relying on note-taking, Richard Ford engages deep into the conversation and listens. And here's the quotation that I love so much. When people realize they're being listened to, they tell you things. Let me repeat that. When people realize they're being listened to, they tell you things. It's not that you tell them you're listening, but it's when they just discover it on their own. So what can you do to the people around you to help the people around you realize you're listening to them? Hmm, what can you do? Well, practically... There's several things you can do. Listen intently. Listen with your whole body. Listen with your eyes. You know, the number one way to know if somebody's listening to you is to look. Where are they looking? Now, I'm not saying that's always an indication, but I love when you just have rich eye contact and you know somebody's listening. Look at their body language. Are they leaning in? Are they engaged in the conversation? Or... You know, the number one thing to do to become a better listener is to stop fubbing people. I bet, depending on the time of day you've listened, you're listening to this now, I bet you've either fubbed or been fubbed already today. Now you're wondering, what is fubbing? Fubbing is snubbing the person in your physical presence to respond to something or someone on your telephone. Put your phone away when you are in conversation with others. 99.9.9, I mean 99.9999997% of the time, the conversation occurring in your physical presence is always more important and should take precedence over whatever's happening on your phone. Yes, there could be the occasional emergency when someone's trying to reach you, but you know what? They'll call back, even if it's in the next moment. So they call you again and again. You go, oh, excuse me. I really do need to take this. This happened to my wife and I just the other day. Someone was calling us about something important. I missed the call. She missed the call. All of a sudden, we're getting a text. Hey, we respond within seconds. But stop fubbing people. Be physically present. Be emotionally and, and intellectually engaged in the conversation that's going on. When people ask me, what is the one thing I can do to become a better leader? 
invariably my answer is almost always become a better listener. If you become a better listener, you will almost always become a better leader. All right, so that's red, empathy, yellow, listening. What then is blue? My answer may surprise you. Hopefully it doesn't. Or if it does, hopefully I can get you on board with me in just a moment. Looking at your personal practice as a servant leader, I believe everything hinges on authenticity. Now, blue, authenticity. Perhaps you've heard the phrase true blue, but you might not know its origin. It goes all the way back to the 1600s in England. There was a village in England by the name of Coventry. It had a group of people that had a unique reputation. They were the dyers, D-Y-E-R-S, not their last name, but people who dyed cloth different colors. And at that time, in that era, the dyers of Coventry were the only ones whose blue cloth always remained blue. So much so that in 1670, author John Ray, in the first edition of a complete collection of English proverbs, wrote this, and I quote, Coventry had formerly the reputation for dying of blues, insomuch that true blue became a proverb to signify one that was always the same and like him or herself. If someone was true blue, you knew they were genuine, authentic, the real deal. We live in a day where images are enhanced, news is fabricated, and people are often left wondering if what they see, hear, or encounter is real. And that includes you if you happen to be their leader. Are you the real deal? Or is this some kind of show for you? Do you really care? If they ran into you somewhere outside of work, would you even recognize them, speak to them, know them by name? Hey, I used to work for a company where the C-suite folks had private parking in an area of the parking lot that had a, a suite or had an elevator that led straight from the parking deck to their offices so they would not have to mingle with the riffraff along the way. So when they did come down from the ivory tower and grace us with their presence and tell us how wonderful it was to spend time with us, did people really believe them? I'll let you answer that. Authenticity. It starts as an inside job. When your actions align with your intentions and values, what results is authentic for you? You can't fake being authentic. Let me say that again. You can't fake being authentic. It's okay to be influenced by others. You, you, it's okay to have heroes and, and role models, but adopt and adapt the practices so they become yours, so that what you're doing is not a cheap trick, it's not a gimmick or a technique, but it is authentically and naturally you. I believe authenticity occurs naturally when you are living out your best and true self. You don't have to conjure up authenticity. You just have to get out of its way. And authenticity always attracts an audience. People are always drawn to the authentic leader. For me, this is best summarized. Be a voice not an echo. Don't be a cheap imitation of someone else. Be the best you, the real you. 
that's what people will respond to. Now, back to the art gallery in Norway. Monk's painting of the screen, it's a unique piece of art. If you haven't seen it, look it up on the internet. People who line up to look at that aren't coming to see a cheap imitation. They're there for the authentic, the real deal. And the same thing goes for the people you work with. They aren't coming to see some gimmick or or trick or, or something contrived. They just want real. Hey, one more thing from Norway. As I was researching primary colors in Norway, I found some photos from Libby Beatty. Libby is originally from the U.S. and now lives in Norway. She had a collection of photos published on a Nat Geo site under the heading of primary colors in Norway. So I found these, and one of the photos was just stunningly beautiful. I found a way to contact Libby, ask her could I use the photo, and across this dialogue discovered that Libby and I had common connections to a college, Asbury University, in Kentucky. It was a fun conversation, and Libby graciously agreed to allow me to include her photos in my presentation. Maybe it was the line, hey, is it okay if if we display some of your photos in a presentation at the National Gallery? She knew it was a a PowerPoint keynote presentation. But we're going to include a link to the show notes if you want to look up those pictures. They're beautiful. So there you have it, the primary colors, empathy, listening, authenticity. What can you get when you mix and blend those on your leadership palette? I personally believe you can get anything in the full spectrum of the rainbow of servant leadership. I'd love to know your thoughts. I love hearing from listeners, and I would love to hear from you. Lately, I've had some great conversations with listeners, so email me at kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com. I want to invite you to think as we wrap this up, and this kind of wraps up our focus on servant leadership, uh, at least for now. I'm sure we'll come back and revisit the topic again. But as you think about servant leadership, think about this empathy. How would being more empathic help you connect with the people you lead? Listening, what can you do today? You know, when when Jeff and I, Jeff Harmon and I were talking about this, we we invited you to join a seven-day listening challenge. Just what can you do over the next seven days to be more intentional and purposeful with your listening? And then authentic. Make sure that whatever it is you're doing, that, that you're letting the real you shine through and you're putting your perspective on the leadership you're providing. So, I want to invite you to be sure and join me next week. Next week, I'm going to talk about some of the new things that we've got planned for the Higher Purpose Podcast and what you'll be hearing in the weeks ahead. Hey, thanks for listening. It's always a privilege to spend this time with you, and I look forward to continuing the conversation when we meet again next week. For now, remember, you're meant for more. Don't settle for less. If you've connected with this episode and would like to learn more about servant leadership and practice the skills you need to serve your team, company, and community, go to ServantLeadershipYear.com and join the community. That's ServantLeadershipYear.com.